Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you. It's good to be back. Thank you for filling in last week for me as host. You're always probably better than me. I, I don't I just, know. You know, I mean, if listeners wanted to write in and, and have, a, have you know, a, coup. a poll over who's a better host, hostess, <laughs> no, I would not be opposed. Oh, well, I really appreciate the fact that you uh, did that. It was important for me to be at that uh, retreat uh, where I was. So thank you, Jorna. And as always, Robert Craig, our executive director, is here with us, uh, our executive director at Citizen Action. Robert. Yep, not of the show. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we have to talk about healthcare. Jorna, you are our Paul Ryan Watch person. Ryan Watch. And Paul Ryan has either wittingly or unwittingly made himself, he is the essentially almost the central character now in our historic healthcare uh, fight that is going on this moment here where we have, have the House pushing a bill that we found out this week, CBO, $24 million uh, thrown off over the next 10 years, and I believe like $12 million almost immediately in the first couple years. First year. First year, exactly. So the numbers were devastating, and uh, Paul Ryan is, is right there, central figure, and taking on a lot of flack for this lousy plan. Yeah, $24 million is a lot of Americans last time I checked. That's, I, I'm not real good with populations of major cities, but that combines a lot of major cities, essentially, if you're thinking about it from real terms, that are getting kicked off of healthcare. I'd be one of those $24 million, and that sucks. You know, he keeps, Paul Ryan keeps talking about how this is freedom and you're going to have greater choice. What, the choice to not have health care, the freedom to go uninsured? Because that's really what this is all going to be about. And so the speaker is basically forcing people to, to choose between overpriced um, insurance plans or not going with any health care at all. And that's just wrong. Yeah. And in, in, in this week, Robert, Citizen Action was uh, heavily involved with uh, some of our partner organizations from Illinois and SEIU here in Wisconsin uh, to try to draw attention immediately to what uh, Paul Ryan is doing and, and really not let him get away for his central role in this plan. Yeah, about 250 people trudged through a, a blizzard, lake effect blizzard. In 16 Rastine inches, Robert. On Tuesday morning. Uh, it was quite picturesque looking. If you, if you see all the pictures, they got national media. And with people with artificial legs and walkers, there are a lot of seniors uh, really calling attention to this. And this is the problem Paul Ryan is having. They want to do this in the dead of night through parliamentary procedures. And now this resistance movement has pr uh, shined a bright light on it. And we don't know. He is seems to be bent on trying to pass this by next week. Uh, but the, the signs don't look good. In fact, uh, last night there were, uh, there were Tea Party or Freedom Caucus, as they call it now, members of the House saying that there are no way there are the votes. And Paul, Ron Johnson is now cool to it at the Senate side, even if it gets through the House side. We'll be mobilizing because we not take this for granted, and they are dead set on doing this, or Paul Ryan is anyway, but it's unclear whether he can win this in his own house, let alone it going through the Senate, but never underestimate their ability to kind of hive together and do something that they think is politically necessary. Um, 
And we saw, I mean, Tom Price, the, the Health Service Secretary, had a meltdown on CNN at a town hall meeting last night. He didn't melt down. He just kept repeating this freedom frame that Jordan was just talking about over and over again. So apparently people are having all of this health care that covers things like cancer and heart disease and diabetes on them, and they might not need all of that coverage. I, I sure don't, you know, with any of the history of my family. Yeah. Uh, so do you think that that Ron Johnson asked Rand Paul to read him the bill after he, you know, stole it out of the reading room. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting too that yes, there's this massive rush, and that the freedom and choice is also being framed as not a healthcare bill anymore, but now it's this trillion dollar tax cut instead of a healthcare bill. I don't see how those two things go hand in hand. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, let's let's be clear. This bill is wildly unpopular already. Or a lot of the polling that's coming out early on it, uh, even in. Paul Ryan's district. There was new polling out this week that uh, showed that the bill is unpopular amongst 55% and only 37% actually support Ryan's bill. And this is a district where Trump is still has a major- majority of uh, uh, favorability. He's more favorable than unfavorable still in Ryan's district. That's a head-scratcher, folks. Think about that. But this bill still runs almost 18 points under. So very unpopular, Robert. Well, so here's the thing, right? We know the policy is nuts right-wing policy. If you pull $1.2 billion out of the healthcare system, we haven't mentioned uh, d- dismantling Medicaid, right, which will take people off of badger care and seniors off of long-term care. If you take that much amount of money out, you're going to cover fewer people. It's really very simple. Right-wing math says, oh, yes, we spend more and give tax breaks to the rich, and it helps the budget deficit, right? That kind of logic. But then there are huge tax breaks, 195000 on average for the top one-tenth of one percent. Uh, they even get rid of the exclusion that does and allow you uh uh, health insurance companies to write off CEO salaries over the 500, that first 500000 When they asked Tom Price about that, he said it was discrimination against one industry and one group of CEOs who might be your, <laughs> I'm not kidding, neighbor down the street. Now, I don't know not about... my neighbor. There are any health insurance executives who are neighbors down the street of, of anyone I know. Uh, but so this is a problem for them because... The protest movement has shined a light on it. They don't want to slow down because the longer this takes, the worse, but they don't seem to have the votes. But then again, they're capable of unifying and much more than Democrats are. So I think we need to keep it up because if they can jam it through now, they will. Well, Robert, you and I live in Bayview. I I know all those CEO houses in our thriving metropolis of Bayview. I I digress. Um, One of the things not to to veer too far off of our topic, but maybe we can link to this poll that was done by PPP that um, my favorite question was, do you support or oppose taking away funding for essential health care services like birth control and cancer screenings um, at Planned Parenthood centers? And 37% support doing that, but that's the floor, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so now we know that there's nowhere to go f- but up from there and 55% opposed doing that. So when we're doing work to keep the speaker accountable down in his district, um, there's a lot of room to grow there and to take back that seat. Jorna, um, I have to admit, no, I, I, I gave the wrong numbers. You just read the the exact numbers I read earlier. I want to, correct uh, something I said earlier. Support for the health care plan is actually at 37% and opposition 46. So again, still 10% more. I actually read those uh, exact health care numbers earlier in the podcast. So I want to apologize to our listeners. But the point being taken, this bill is wildly unpopular. And in particular, as you point out, the attacks on Planned Parenthood are even less popular in this district. Well, and I think it proves that we are moving 
public opinion down in that district. And that's going to have all sorts of implications on the speaker and on actually having some accountability down in the first congressional district of Wisconsin. And we're really, they want to do this Tuesday or Wednesday next week in the House. Ryan is pulling all the stops. He's saying that you can't repeal Obamacare if you don't take this bill, though he's admitting there might be some adjustments, which they'll do in the next two committees that quickly go through it, uh, the Budget Committee and the Rules Committee. Uh, but he's also saying that the Senate committee is somehow on board. We don't know what Senate committee is and that the Trump administration is on board, though Trump has now distanced himself a little bit from it as of yesterday. So this really is, it's hard to know what they do if they can't get this House vote. So do not underestimate them. People need to go to any action that's going on in their area aimed at House members' offices. So Representatives Duffy, Gallagher, Sensenbrenner, and Ryan in this state. And if you don't have a group of people don't see anything posted in your area, just get a couple friends and go there with some signs and make this visible and, and show the signs to the public outside. This is the time to keep the pressure on. They're, on, they're, they're in deep trouble on this, but they are, they, they are very ruthless. Remember what happened in Act 10. They will go forward if they can. I want to point out to everyone, uh, new numbers uh, came out this week about the Affordable Care Act and its enrollment here in Wisconsin. And actually, enrollment is up in Wisconsin. And so Paul Ryan running around, his, one of his first assumptions was that uh, Obamacare was in a death spiral. Clearly not. More people enrolled. Uh, so again, that between that and the CBO numbers, right, really, really rough week uh, uh, on facts. Uh, so Paul Ryan for, says he was encouraged by the numbers. And yeah. so Brett bearer of all people on Fox News says, so what kind of CBO report would discourage you then, Mr. Speaker? <laughs> it begs the question, you. It does. It does. But just, just a reminder, right, there are almost a, a quarter of a million people signed up on the Affordable Care Act here in Wisconsin. Again, so we're at record just numbers. Just remember this 750,000 people, give or take, on Badger Care. This destroys Badger Care long term and blames it on the states. We even have Scott Walker ducking and not taking a position. And he and Robin Voss and company better think about what they're going to do because they're the ones who have to make the badger cuts in a couple of years after everyone's forgotten what Ryan did and what Trump did. So again, folks, please uh, get on the phones, do whatever you can, contact uh, your legislators, go to their offices. Uh, they need to hear from you. We need to put pressure on. Uh, even Ron Johnson uh, came out in opposition and even suggested that they were wrong, that premiums are going to go up in this bill, and that uh, he flat out said he just thinks that they've overpromised and that they're going to have a very very difficult time delivering. I like One, how he's sort of taken himself out of the equation. Well, he sort of third-partied it, but he, let's be clear, he didn't say he'd vote against it. He's cool to yes, it. So well, I, don't, I still don't. If you put a bill in front of him, do you trust Ron Johnson ain't but, vote, isn't voting no. for it? Yeah, thank you. To my point, though, keep putting pressure on him. I do believe the pressure helps a lot. So with that, uh, we got to get away, and we'll be right back. So welcome back, and uh, we are going to switch topics, uh, but we have uh, some news that's actually breaking today. We record every Thursday uh, around education, and, and in particular, our new president, Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump, it appears, uh, is going to be doing some very deep cuts in education and sciences broadly, but we wanted to spend a few minutes talking in particular about the cuts that are proposed around uh, student aid, work-study, uh, that really impacts the ability of students to actually access uh, both uh, technical college but also uh, the university system. And so we have a special guest on today to talk about that who knows firsthand about educating 
uh, uh, the youth of today, and that is Mike Rosen, who is a professor of economics at the Milwaukee Area Technical College and also the president of AFT Local 212. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Uh, great to be here, Matt. So, Michael, why don't you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the nut of what uh, uh, President Trump is proposing here and, and its impact on uh, students. The proposed education budget is a devastating attack on higher education and public education. I mean, just to give you the big picture, there's a $9.2 billion attack on the education budget, cuts in the education budget. But of particular concern to technical college and community college students, and really all students, low-income and moderate-income students, is the, the slashing of uh, work-study. Uh, many of our students are economically challenged. In fact, uh, 50 percent of all students who attend uh, undergraduate school in the country are community college students, and one of the main reasons they attend two-year colleges is because of the low price uh, of, of the education. But they need support, financial support, such things as Pell Grants and federal work-study. Federal work-study in this in this budget will be significantly cut, and that will have a significant impact on the ability of students to access higher education and to complete it. One of the things that we know as educators is that when students are racing from the campus to jobs to pick up their children, it undermines their ability to concentrate and be successful in their studies. What we've tried to do at MATC and other two-year colleges is provide students with real jobs on campus that give them work experience, but also allow them to earn while they're on campus. That saves them time, which they can then allocate to their studies. This cut will be devastating, and it will hurt the ability of low- and moderate-income students. Hey, Michael, this is uh, Robert Craig. I assume, actually, that I know you. You're not a defender of the status quo. You think if you're doing more... I mean, I think the the college completion rate right now, number of people who have achieved a, an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, is still 39% in this country. And we're an economy where it's frequently said that if you don't have at least associate's degree, you have no chance at a middle-class job. There are some exceptions, like the building trades, but in general, that's increasingly the case. So, I, I mean, it's fairly shocking that we would go backwards rather than going forward and, and guaranteeing at least an associate's degree at, to, ev to every kid in the United States. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. And, and remember, this cut is on top of a cut in 2013-2014. There was a $51 million cut. 33,000 students lost work-study opportunities that year. This is on top of that. At a time when we should be investing in young people and young adults so they can obtain the skills that they need, this does the exact opposite, pulls the rug out from under them. One of the things that we need in this country uh, is free college. In many of the industrial democracies in the world, uh, Germany, Denmark, uh, many, most all of the Northern European countries, uh, college is free for students because they understand that providing, investing in those students is an investment in the long-term economic growth of the country. We're doing the exact opposite. 
We are divesting in programs that help our students succeed. There is a movement in this college for free college. President Obama has supported it. But it is clear that the current administration believes that college access is a private good that should only be accessed by those who have the private resources to pay for it. In the long run, it will create a much uh, it will undermine the economic growth of this country and create a much more savage society. So thanks so much for joining us today. Um, this whole conversation really takes me back to my United Council of UW students lobbying days where we'd take it to D.C. and talk to all of our um, federal representatives about all of these student financial aid programs. And I can recall, you know, it sticks out to chant that we would chant education is a right, not just for the rich and white. And as I look at the preliminary findings out of this budget, Pell Grants are being kept level um, on top of these significant cuts to work study. It looks like they're trying to reduce SEOG grants and eliminate gear up and some trio um, program funding, which, yep. you know, it really it helps provide access to low income students and a lot of students of color and give them uh, the access to a higher education. And so all of this combined together, can you talk a little bit about what that impact is going to be? Yeah, I mean, the, the attack on a TRIO and Gear Up, uh, it's a $200 million cut at least. Uh, that will, those are programs that help uh, low-income students who, who have access to higher education. Keeping Pell Grants flat is not helpful at all. And uh, what we need to do is increase Pell Grants. That was done modestly under President Obama, but not nearly as much. Take a school like MATC, where over 60% of our students are on Pell Grants. Uh, they, they need that financial support. And even with the financial support of Pell Grants, a recent survey by the UW Hope Lab of 33,000 college students found that two-thirds of college students face food insecurity, and 15% are actually homeless. We see that at the college, frequently homeless students who we try to help out. These cuts are going to make it even more difficult for our students to succeed. And we're not just talking about low-income students, although that should be of real concern to us, but we're talking about middle-class students as well. Student debt in this country has soared. It is the second highest kind of debt that of all Americans have. And if we don't address this problem by making higher education accessible, and that means making it free for our students, uh, all of us will pay in the long run. So, uh, Dr. Rosen, what do you think we should do moving forward? It seems like we as progressives need a, a vision of what could be rather than saying that even the current situation is adequate. And so do you think that we should be moving towards a guarantee in every state with federal money that every every kid gets a free education up to 16 grades or 14 grades rather than just 12? I mean, I actually think that we should be making college free. And to do that, we need to invest in public higher education. I mean, one of the reasons that uh, debt has soared and uh, one of the reasons the student debt, I mean by that, that it has soared to such astronomical levels. And we're talking about $1.4 trillion in debt, uh, second only to home mortgages, more than credit card debt. 
the reason that it, one of the reasons it soared is that states across the country, but this, and Wisconsin has been a leader in this, has slashed their funding for higher education. As a result, uh, students have to privately fund their education, and that forces many, many into debt. It also forces them to work longer and longer hours. And we know that one of the main impediments to student achievement is when students are working. The, the more hours you work, the less hours you have to devote to your studies. I know that a lot of uh, politicians in Washington, D.C., have this image, and that's probably because they come from upper classes or upper middle classes, of students who are going to Yale or Harvard and not, not working and uh, spending time in addition to their studies and in the library uh, at bars and frat parties. But for the vast majority of students in the United States, that's not their reality. Their reality is juggling work, it's juggling school, it's juggling family, and it's undermining their ability to achieve. And at the same time, public policy is undermining their opportunity by cutting funding. We need to adequately fund. We have to invest in our community colleges, our technical colleges, in the University of Wisconsin and other uh, public higher education uh, college, universities and colleges, and we need to provide students with the support. And in my view, what that really means is making college free. I suppose to start, it makes sense to say, let's make community college free. But in the long run, we need to do what other prosperous and far-sighted countries do, which is make college free for all students who qualify and get in. And what Trump is doing is clearly the wrong direction. So thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And remember, everybody, that, uh, that investment in our students is an investment in the future of this country. And it ought to be on the front and center, because that is exactly the kind of thing that will galvanize people to get excited again about the kind of politics we need to have. So uh, Trump's taking us in the wrong direction, but it's an opportunity for us to actually lay out the proper vision. So we really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin, and we're really pleased to have as our special guest State Superintendent of Public Instruction Tony Evers, who most of you know is uh, is running for re-election right now in the spring election. So, uh, uh, Tony, thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. So you are in a, a big campaign when the general election, there was a, a hot competition uh, of two, with two other candidates to, to face you in the final. And uh, so you're facing uh, Letster Holtz. Could you talk a little bit about what are the most important differences voters should be considering uh, when they look at, at your record and what, and what you're campaigning on and what your opponent is proposing to do? Yeah, I, I guess I have a a brighter view of the world than, than, uh, than Mr. Holtz. Actually, I just got done in a debate with him, and uh, twice he said this out loud, and I was I was taken aback. He said, talking about African Americans, they have two choices, education or crime. And uh, 
By golly, I I think that's uh, that was a really inappropriate comment to make. So there's a there's a difference. Of, diff, I have a different view of the world than he does. Let's put it that way. So I, I believe that yes, we we do have issues in the state of Wisconsin. We're working hard on them, but frankly, a lot of it revolves around uh, uh, adequate resources for kids. And uh, and I that's I've been focusing my goal on 860,000 kids in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, that is stark what he said, and uh, I wonder if we dig a little deeper, because uh, obviously that's a, a horrendous stereotype to say, in essence, that uh, it's education or crime, and it also doesn't take into account you know, the fact that we need uh, corrections reform dramatically, that a lot of young people who never belong in jail end up, end up in jail in our current system. But as far as education, he seems to be saying that education needs to be better and that it, and, and of course, conservatives like to claim that it, urban education is failing, but I'm always wondering about whether they have anything that, uh, to offer that, other than things that would make it worse. So what, what does your opponent say about urban education and how he's going to make it better for African-American kids and other kids? Yeah, basically, uh, his, Mr. Holtz's view of the world has always been around vultures uh, as as the, as the alternative. And right from the get-go, he he uh, talked about getting national vulture money and all that. So that, that's clearly his uh, mo. Uh, but you know, we we've we've had 26 years of vultures in Milwaukee, and you know, are there good vulture schools? Yes. Are there good MPS schools? Yes. But the bottom line is, it's made no difference academically and. And uh, it, it is a it is a situation where money is going in places where uh, in public schools are suffering as a result of lack of resources. So our legislators have to think through this uh, as it relates to the, the upcoming budget. You know, it's always struck me that if you look at those numbers, you said that there's no discernible difference. That the voucher schools get to choose their own students. And they are much less open to special needs kids. So the fact that the, that they don't show any advantage is kind of stunning. It actually would suggest to me that the public schools are doing a better job because they take every kid. And there are a lot of situations where the voucher schools, if a kid is acting up, they find a way to kick him out and he ends up back in the public school. But they I keep the money for that semester. Yeah, that, and that's the way the funding system works. It's based on the third Friday in September. And if you're... You leave the school after that, then the money stays where it started at. But yeah, certainly, and I and I'm a big fan of Dr. Drivers. I, I think she's done a good job in in Milwaukee, and we need to we need to pull behind the schools rather than you know identifying problems. Another small example, he said it. My teeth almost dropped out of my mouth, except for they're they're not false. Uh, today was he he laid the blame on the Sherman Park disturbances that happened last summer on the feet of the of the education system. Well, golly, how about uh, how about uh, economic uh, disadvantage, poverty, uh, all sorts of other things that play into that? Uh, somehow he laid it on the feet of MPS. That's just that's just irrational thinking, and it's not very good forward looking thinking. We we need to support our kids and make sure we're behind them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, that's that's a stunning comment as well uh, by your opponent. And we, I mean, we have a real problem in this in, in education, thinking about poverty. We've become a much more unequal to society. 
uh, kids in poverty, the research is overwhelming, face huge disadvantages. They're, they're, they're behind by the time they're a, a couple months old. And so it, it's always seemed to me that we need to invest more in the schools that, that, that uh, teach disadvantaged kids uh, rather than less. And I know uh, maybe you could speak to this, that you want to change the school funding formula in a way that would actually help schools that, that face kids who need more help, who are coming out of conditions of, of, of deprivation and poverty. Yeah, absolutely. My 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 uh, guiding star on this whole issue of funding is equity. It's not equality; it's equity. When kids uh, when kids are struggling because of uh, economic disadvantage, because of students with disabilities, because they're English learners, all those kids, in order to get that extra lift they need to succeed, that is going to cost that is going to cost money. So we need we need to make sure whatever funding system we have distributes the money in a way that recognizes that some kids need more help than others, and as a result, there's going to be more need for resources than other places. And I wonder if you could speak to Governor Walker's budget on this issue. I know when I saw you before we had Ken interviews uh, a few weeks back, it was right afterwards, and you were pleasantly surprised that Walker had restored some of the money that he has cut in his previous budget education. But what's less understood is he sent it in a, in a different kind of funding formula that's less, a lot less equal, that essentially gives as much money to wealthier districts as dis, uh, districts that are poorer. Yeah, well, well basically, you're right. I, I was pleased that we're, we set it in the right direction instead of backwards. But the, uh, the, the goal here, in my view, is is equity and not equality, and and, and he he's putting uh, a large part of his uh, his budget is around distributing things equally, and uh, that that is not equity at all. It doesn't rec- recognize that there are some districts that have more wealth and have less uh, less poverty and less fewer numbers of English learners and so on, and they get the same amount as say per child as more public schools that has all sorts of kids that that struggle mightily because of the circumstances that are, frankly, beyond their control. So we, we need to make sure that we keep the North Star on equity and not equality, and that's, and that's where the governors and I have, have disagreed. So we're, I'm going to, you know, going forward, I'm going to embrace uh, uh, any more money, but the fact of the matter is we have to make sure that it's distributed in a way that is fair and equitable. Yeah, I, I agree entirely, and... Uh... I wonder if you could say a little more, I mean, as you're running for re-election again um, in, in Wisconsin, where we have conservative control of the legislature, far-right conservative, and Governor Walker, uh, a lot of them and Governor Walker have done a lot since Walker took into office to target teachers and to blame them for the failings of schools, blame them for supposedly having benefits better than other people have, even though... Quite frankly, they are paid less relatively to other professionals with the same education level in our economy. And there really is a growing teacher shortage, and there's a lot of reason to believe that young people are not being attracted to the profession because they see the profession getting bashed. So I wonder if you yeah. could say something about the role of teaching as a profession in, in improving our schools and giving every kid a 21st century education. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, Acton did play a part in that uh, in order to get that passed. Uh, we, we as a state had to kind of uh, divide the haves and have-nots, and uh, apparently the, the teachers were viewed as the haves and other public servants, frankly. And uh, as a result, Act 10 happened, and it happened, and it's over with. But the fact of the matter is it left this kind of stain over the profession as people, you know, I get around as a Board of Regent member of the University of Wisconsin system and talk to young people about why 
uh, they want to be a teacher, and they talk about they don't want to be a, a, a professional where you're going to have a target on your back. And that, and that, so we're losing, a, I think, a whole generation of young people to the profession. We have to turn around the rhetoric. Frankly, that's free. It's not going to cost a penny. But in addition, we need to slowly increase uh, salaries in order to be competitive uh, with other professions. Our teachers have taken about a 2.5% cut over the last couple of years across the state. And our take-home pay is a lot less, too. Respecting the profession, we need to also invest in it. And this is what I don't understand about the conservative approach. I mean, they made big promises to vouchers. They were going to save urban education. Now they're spreading across the state, right? And uh, a lot of voucher schools, not everyone, because there are some very high-quality ones that are, were private schools before the program, actually pay teachers very little, and they have a churn of teachers where they don't stay very long. It, seems, it just seems to me that in any, in any other major profession, if we're talking about professional athletes or lawyers or doctors, we want the best people. We want to treat them like professionals. We want to pay them well to attract them. Why do conservatives think that not paying teachers and undermining respect for the profession does anything to improve education? It seems like it undermines it to me. Yeah, yeah I can't answer for them all, for them all but I, I do believe it, it, it started with Act 10, and it, it's taken a while to kind of slow down the rhetoric from that. And I, th- I think the pendulum will swing, but we, we, as I said before, we've lost, uh, I think, a generation of teachers. I, we had a study done at UW-Madison that indicated that only 5% of potential teachers going forward would work in rural Wisconsin. Well, heck, heck, that is going to be a bad deal for, you know, we, we're in a, we, we're a shortage of special ed teachers and others in our urban and suburban areas. Think of you're up north and you had 5% of the people, only 5%, wanting to even teach there. You're going to have a shortage of second grade teachers. So this is, this is an emergency. We really, we really do need to get behind our teachers and especially our prospective teachers or the pipeline will be empty. So we're about out of time. I know the election day is April 4th. Is there anywhere people can go if they want to help reelect you, uh, Superintendent? Absolutely. It's, it's Tony for Wisconsin, T-O-N-Y-F-O-R, Wisconsin.com. Yep. That's great. Best of luck as you close out this uh, your reelection campaign. Thanks. We're going full bore, and uh, we hope to win, but it, it's... Uh, uh, we're, we're facing some national money. We have, to, we have to make sure we get to as many people as possible. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Welcome back. And uh, most of our podcast listeners, we have, a, we have a statewide audience, and we sometimes won't often focus particularly on Milwaukee issues, but uh, now that we're on 1510, um, we wanted to occasionally dive in on looking at some things that are impacting the Milwaukee or southeastern Wisconsin area. But issues that we think also, because they're in Milwaukee, they actually impact the whole state. And in Milwaukee, um, we have some spring elections, and so we have a special guest joining us today to talk about some very important elections that are occurring in Milwaukee. That special guest is Marina Dmitrievich. She is a county uh, board supervisor here, former chair of the board, and currently the executive director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Marina, thanks for joining us. Yes, hello. Happy to be here again. So we've had you on before, and so everybody knows here in uh, the Milwaukee area, we have a very vibrant Working Families Mm -hmm. Party that has been very active in a number of elections, including uh, an effort uh, around Chris Larson and to elect a number of great progressives here at local office. 
Uh, but we have a whole round of spring elections coming up this April, and the Working Families Party has been extraordinarily active both in um, helping Tony Evers, but Milwaukee public school board candidates. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the school board race and why it's so important, not only in Milwaukee, but beyond. Right. Well, our whole world has been uh, turned upside down here, and um, public education is under attack nationally from President Trump, Betsy DeVos, and many of those interests and folks uh, have invested in Wisconsin and now in the Milwaukee school board races. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're seeing uh, donations coming from the Chamber of Commerce to candidates directly, Howard Fuller, um, Gus Ramirez, many of these school privatizers and profiteers. There's a reason that they want to try to purchase some of these seats. Yeah, and, and, and Milwaukee's been sort of ground zero for for right. this fight now for geez, you know, three decades now almost since the early to mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fight has not ended, and it continues to play out, as you yeah. mentioned. So we have uh, what four? There's four school board seats up. There's four seats, and you're right. We are part of that failed experiment, and yeah. it's time to fight back. Yep. And that's what we have with these four open seats. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just tick them off. Um, In the city of Milwaukee, on our near north side, we have incumbent Annie Woodward seeking re-election. She uh, has an opponent in Aisha Carr. And Annie Woodward um, has been progressive, has a great record, is a longtime unionist and public worker. Um, Moving on to our downtown River West and also uh, parts of near north side is uh, co-op member Larry Miller running for re-election who has decades. Yeah. Marina mentions co-op. Yep. Larry Miller (laughs) is an organizing co-op member here. And and so we're actively supporting Larry. But Larry's been a leader on the board for eight years. He's really viewed as someone who's sort of critical to having a high-functioning school board. Yeah, and because that, he's being targeted. He's been outspoken, a champion, uh, very prolific in his progressive legislation. He's been there when we've always needed him um, and will continue to lead the way for newer people. So new to the school board, we hope, Dr. Tony Baez, but certainly not new to our community. Mm -hmm. Uh, There couldn't be anyone more deep-rooted in the near Latino community. Dr. Tony Baez uh, is who we're supporting for an open seat that was held by Dr. Tatiana Joseph, uh, one of the first and only Latino majority districts on the school board, so it's incredibly important for our fastest-growing population. And also an area uh, that voucher advocates and privatizers and profiteers would love to check off their list. Yeah, so Tony's been around a long time in our community, a long-time education advocate, going back to the 70s, really fighting mm-hmm. for better equity right. in our school systems. And what's really important about this seat, and I don't know, maybe you know a little bit more about this, but if this is one of the only, uh, it's a predominantly Latino seat for mm-hmm. the school board, and and it was a seat that was fought for heavily in the redistricting, which is now back in the news. But uh, this was uh, a seat that the community fought very hard to make yes. sure would be predominantly Latino. Mm-hmm. And it's excellent to see that someone with Baez's uh, experience, history, and you know, solid track record of being a supporter of you know, public schools um, that he's running. Right. And so um, this seat, when Dr. Tatiana Joseph was elected, it was the first time that there was a Latino majority yep. seat. So it's extremely historical. Um, and with Dr. Baez having this depth of 
um, progressive history and public education. He has classroom experience. Um, he's taught at the collegiate level, and he's actually internationally known for his bilingual expertise. He believes in the bilingual Montessori program. Um, we could not have anyone more qualified. It's rare to see a candidate like that. And because of that, he's being targeted um, by these privatizers and profiteers. The pro-charter and choice folks um, are really rallying behind uh, his opponent in Jonathan Zuniga. So we really need to get folks out to help Tony be elected. Yeah, and uh, it's worth also pointing out that uh, Tony uh, Baez is also a member of our organizing cooperative and has been helpful in really helping get Action Ciudadana up and off the ground. And so we're really excited about that, that he's running. And we've had a lot of members already get out and support uh, and help Tony. Uh, but we really do want to encourage our listeners and uh, members of Citizen Action to get out this weekend on Saturday. Um, there's going to be activities at the Milwaukee Teacher Education Association. You can talk more about that. Yes. So um, if you've been waiting for that opportunity, you've seen the sun pop out, um, you've been angry about Betsy DeVos, and look, there's a lot of things to be angry about. Let's use that energy to do something positive and progressive. I promise you that your door knock or phone call can make a huge difference in these campaigns. We're talking about hundreds of people that come out to vote. We're looking at lower voter turnout for this election on April 4th. So your door knock, your phone call could be the difference in electing um, this expert in Dr. Tony Baez and a co-op member to a place like the Milwaukee Public School Board. And we need you. We'll be there Saturday. Saturday canvassing. So Saturday, 9.30, we, we get started, and you can either go knock doors. If you don't like knocking doors and you want to make phone calls, we, we can hook you up with phone lists. Mm -hmm. uh, it's worth pointing out, in addition to uh, supporting these school board candidates when we're canvassing, we'll also be supporting Tony Evers yes. and his, his re-elect, because we see, obviously, both of these races are, are essential. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, Marina, last fall... A lot of people were frustrated with sort of our candidate choices and, 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 you know, a lot of frustration about the presidential and talking a lot, uh, you hear at that time, about local races and how I feel like I can make a bigger difference locally. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, when those big races go away, a lot of times those people go away, right? And so it this is the time, right, if you're one of mm -hmm. those people who really do get that these local races are, are fundamentally critical. I mean, MBS, if I'm correct, is a billion-dollar yes. system, right? We're talking about a, Largest ma in the state. It's mm -hmm. a major institution mm -hmm. um, and has significant impacts for what's going to happen to the rest of the state, right? We've seen what 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 uh, was birthed here in Milwaukee around vouchers is now mm -hmm. spread statewide, and, and so Milwaukee is fundamentally important. Um, but... So if you are one of those people, I really do challenge you to get out and come to the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association this weekend. And if you can't come this weekend, we're going to be there every weekend yes. uh, right up until till the election on April 4th. Mm -hmm. Knocking and making phone calls for these school board candidates as well as Tony Evers. Really, your work and your volunteerism and activism is certainly needed now more than ever and actually will make an impact uh, now more than ever. So, Marina... Um, I know you've 
talked a little bit uh, in your previous visit about the Working Families Party, but why don't you just let people know a little bit mm -hmm. more about the Working Families Party and, you know, if people want to get involved, what they can do. Right. Um, we are sweeping the nation. All this energy, um, this revolution, this rebellion and resistance that's going on, this dissatisfaction with the status quo um, continues to build a momentum of independent political organizing. And that's what we do in the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Um, if you're fed up and you don't want to do things as usual and you can't seem to get in with the status quo, um, which isn't working, I think that's hard to argue at this point that it is working, um, come, come with us, join us. Uh, uh, come home, right? Come home to the Working Families Party. Um, we work in uh, primary elections, local elections, nonpartisan, um, and we really want to find those cream of the crop candidates that are truly progressive, that are champions and have an agenda. And we want to get issues enacted that really make a difference in the, the working families, the lives of working families in Wisconsin. Um, so with that, we're growing as a party we're building, we're um, feeding off of this momentum, and we really want to push for more. You know, we, we operate on the left side. We want to tug people left and be active and deliver on real results um, that, that really are part of this populist message. We need to take that message back because it belongs to the people. Well, and I'll, and I'll let our listeners know, we, we at Citizen Action have been, you know, really active in trying to mm -hmm. work with the Working Families Party and our partners here, certainly in Milwaukee and southeastern Wisconsin, and trying to figure that out. And how can we lay out an agenda 10 years down the road where we could be governing here and actually enacting policies that are fundamentally different than what we're seeing put on the table today? And uh, it's going to be places like Milwaukee where we mm -hmm. see the next innovations uh, in the progressive movement, because we can, we can govern here, right? That's and right. We just have to expect more and 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 invest more time in finding mm -hmm. and supporting uh, folks for office here locally, and and it's great to have the Working Families Party here to to, to help help figure that out. Thank and, you, and, and be a leader in that area. So exciting time. Yes. Yeah, so um, if folks want to get in touch with you, what should they do? Workingfamilies.org. Uh, take a look at that website because it has all of our states. We're on the East Coast, West Coast. Midwest, uh, right here in Wisconsin, you can get connected with a lot of the fabulous things we're doing. Um, again, come home to the Working Families Party. Uh, we've got a popular message that people can really play into. Um, and let's get some progressives elected and get our issues enacted at, at these local governments. Okay, folks, get out this weekend, Saturday, Milwaukee Teachers Education Association, 930. And Marina, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right. So, so Matt, you know, I'm going to just take over hosting here for a moment. Why not? Because <laughs> what I do. Uh, up is down. I've been uh, looking for a co-host, actually, Jorna. We, we are a good little, you know, there does There's here. a lot of prep work that, that goes into the co-host responsibilities. Are you ready for that? Yeah, like showing up. Awesome. Oh, um, ouch, ouch. All right. Ouch. So, uh, so <laughs> I've had a request from some special listeners in my life. Good listeners, I assume. They are, they are weekly, Quality. dedicated mm -hmm. listeners, not George the Horse. I have heard horses listen to the radio, though. Is <laughs> that, is that yes, untrue? Yes, it's true. Usually NPR. Um, so I've had some requests for the weekend furlough to come back. Now that we're on the radio and Bring we it cut back. it out. Bring it back. We're bringing it back. We're bringing back the furlough, folks. It's only been gone for two weeks, and it's back. Jorna, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I have a super exciting weekend of uh, a lot of things with my horses. Is it warm enough? To, oh, that's right. You we, have we a stable. We can ride inside. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go on Saturday night to support the uh, 2017 class of Emerge. Oh, uh, always a good group. Folks who are going through, they're gonna be in Milwaukee, and then I'm judging a horse show on Sunday. So you know me. I'm gonna live it up, doing my horse thing. Well, Jorna, that sounds great. Um, 
Robert, what are you doing this weekend? All sorts of exciting things that <laughs> I can't imagine always meet Matt's criteria. Uh, stiff. So let's see. I am working. I am going to be presenting at Gwen Moore's town hall meeting on Saturday afternoon and talking about Ryan's attack on health care with the good congresswoman um, and her constituents when I'm one of her constituents. Um, I am going to be speaking to the quarterly meeting of a major machinist lodge at Sunday, which I usually do once a year with this particular lodge. It's very exciting. I know Jorna likes to go to machinist Calm lodges. Calm down, Robert. Calm down. And I am going to the opera on Sunday afternoon. <gasps> oh, Which one? You Don, Don Giovanni? Giovanni nice. with my All father right, and go. my two brothers. My well, brother the opera. and father live in in Illinois, so they're coming up, and my brother lives here, and I are going with them to Don Giovanni. Okay, so all this proved, Jorna, is that Robert actually does miss the furlough. That was the best furlough ever. And of course, it is combined work and fun. And it is March Madness. Yeah, I I was going to say. I thought you left that for me. Okay. Well, so we record on Thursdays, as I think I like to say every week. Um, today is probably the biggest day in sports for me. Uh, not only is the NCAA tournament starting today, mm, but this yes. is the uh, kickoff of the flat track season, the professional flat track season. Uh, and there is a new uh, thing in flat track this year. That is all races will be raced on 250 twin cylinder engines. And tonight is the Daytona TT. So we have uh, going to go over to the new Fuel Cafe and uh, watch the race over at Fuel. Uh, but on Saturday... And, of course, Robert, the NCAA tournament, we have Wisconsin late on Thursday, Marquette on Friday, and Gonzaga Zaga is in this year, which always uh, keeps this West Coast Conference guy excited. Uh, But Saturday, I will do indoors for uh, Tony Evers and Larry Miller. Uh, We have very important school board elections here in Milwaukee, and I hope and encourage people to meet us at the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association, 930 on Saturday. And with that... We want to thank Brian Wooldridge. We want to thank Brian Wooldridge, right? He makes it happen every week. And with that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.